Welcome to Amplify. You're listening to Raymond Dean's Oboe Concerto, and this is one of the works that features in this episode alongside works by Kevin Volans and Jane O'Leary. I'm joined today, as always, by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Jonathan. So this week we're starting a new occasional mini-series in the podcast where, with the help of expert guests, we take a look back at works by Irish composers in the recent past. And we start this series with composer and guitarist Ben Dwyer, who takes a look at some concerto works by Irish composers. Yeah, great to hear from Ben on these works, Jonathan, these three concertos from recent years. You know, Ben brings so many different perspectives to his consideration of these three works. And of course, he's been a previous guest on the podcast um, with the launch of his album on the Diatribe record last year at New Music Dublin. As you said, he's a composer, he's a guitarist, he's a very respected musicologist with a biography on John Buckley to his credit and also the beautiful book of interviews with many Irish composers. That's a great read. Uh, He was curator, of course, for many years of various concert series. So he brings that perspective too. And he's currently professor of music at Middlesex University's School of Media and Performing Arts. So he brings so many perspectives to looking back at these three concertos from the past years. And, And of course, you know, he brings this composer-performer perspective, which is always really interesting to tease out. So Ben has chosen three works featuring solo instruments and orchestra. Raymond Dean's Concerto for Oboe and Large Orchestra, Kevin Volan's Concerto for Illum Pipes and Orchestra, and Jane O'Leary's Strings Alive for Piano and Orchestra. Yeah, these works, you know, spanning Quite a long period, Jonathan, when we kind of look at the dates, right? You know, Raymond Dean's work from 1993-94, Jane O'Leary's 2005-2007, and then Kevin Vaughan's a more recent work from 2018. And, you know, so that's what I found very interesting, this kind of um, span uh, of the concertos that Ben looks at in this episode. And, you know, I suppose the different musical approaches to the concerto form, which, of course, we know from the Baroque classical period and the Romantic. So it was of particular interest to me, I think, how he kind of addresses the fact that these concertos kind of push this traditional form um, really pushed the envelope on it in very different ways, in very distinct ways. These are three distinct, different composers, compositional voices. And so to have Ben just take a, a really close look at these works that are in the CMC archive and we're rediscovering these works from past years, it was great to hear his thoughts. So let's hear this conversation with Ben Dwar now which was recorded earlier in March of this year.
Tell me about the three works that you've chosen to focus on. When we first talked about this, I thought I would choose the following three pieces. Strings Alive by Jane O'Leary for piano and strings, Raymond Dean's Oboe Concerto, and Kevin Vaughan's Concerto for Inn Pipes and Orchestra. In those three examples, we have Irish composers who have really reimagined what the concerto form is or could be. And they've done it in three very different ways. And they're three very different composers. Strangely enough, Jane studied with Milton Babbitt in the States. And when she came to Ireland in the 70s, she was quite involved in serial techniques. But in the last, I guess for the last 20 years or so, she's moved radically towards a kind of an impressionistic, sound-orientated um, type of composition. <laughs> Raymond Dean's uh, roots really lie in early Schoenberg and the Bergian sound world, which brings its own unusual casting of the concerto. Of course, we know Kevin Volans as the composer of White Man Sleeps, the composer who's recasted um, indigenous African music in very inventive ways. And here he is now taking an indigenous Irish instrument and doing something similar. So that's quite interesting. I chose the concerto form because it's a form that matters to me as a performing composer. I was at the premiere of Jane O'Leary's Strings Alive, and I remember thinking there aren't that many composers that do what we do. I don't mean that to sound elitist, but it's a small category of composers in Ireland who actually play at a concerto level, shall we say, and can perform their own concertos. So this notion of actually the composer up there at the piano was something that resonated with me. I've written three concertos myself. So I guess as a guitarist who performs quite a lot and at a certain level, the concerto form is the ultimate form in a sense. Being up on stage with an orchestra as a performing composer, performing her own work, is probably the ultimate experience. brings all your knowledge as the composer, all your knowledge as the player, into one kind of ecstatic moment.
What are some of the challenges in writing for solo instruments and orchestra for composers today, or maybe some of the challenges that you have faced in your own work in the past? For guitar, the challenges are quite obvious in terms of projection of the instrument. It's not really an instrument that should be in the orchestra. I've worked on this with my first guitar concerto. I had to rearrange it for the second performance to try and create a kind of a concerto grosso scenario. For my second guitar concerto, which was premiered maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years ago with Fabio Zanon and the, the National Symphony Orchestra, I actually chose a big orchestra. And I tried to get out of this episodic problem. And if you listen to the Rodrigo Concerto de Ranquez, it's guitar, orchestra, guitar, orchestra, guitar, orchestra, because that's one way of solving the problem. Except the episodic nature can get very problematic. Even for other instruments, it's always a matter of balance and how much um, an instrument can be integrated into the network of the orchestra. But it depends, as we will see uh, when we come to listen to these three concertos, it depends on the intentions of the composer. As a form, it has been relatively stable, if you think about it, until, I guess, the last 50 years where people are approaching it, depending on their own perspectives. Knowing that it's been a rather stable form allows us to see the different approaches that um, composers have taken. Let's begin with the Dean work, which is the oldest of the, the three works. That's from 1993. And like a lot of Dean's orchestral works, it's written for a quite a large scale orchestra. I mean, this is really unusual, but it's, it, it also forms the basis upon which we need to look at this concerto. When we think of the of the oboe as a solo instrument with concerto, we automatically think of the Baroque period. We don't really think of the oboe with a, with a large orchestra. And Dean here has given us a concerto for oboe and massive orchestra. I mean, it's a full orchestra, plus four percussion players, plus piano, plus harp, and organ thrown in. As we know, he's an advocate of Palestinian freedom and he's a supporter of them in their fight against the Israeli occupation of of their lands. As he had just returned from, from the Gaza, this was probably on his mind and the notion of this large force versus this smaller entity is uh, very important. It's not the same as the romantic idea of the concerto which is where you have a, a soloist against the forces of nature. He has taken that idea, but in a way has framed it in a political sense. I 
spoken to Raymond about this in interviews and so forth, where he says he's under no obligation to manifest his personal political views through his music. And largely he doesn't, uh, maybe with the exception of this work and passage work, but it's very hard to see this work in any other way other than a political framing. sense throughout the piece as you listen to it that the often the oboe becomes completely overwhelmed by these huge forces and remember I mean the Israeli occupation of, of Palestine is supported by the United States of America and by most of Europe I mean there are troubles all over the world but this is unique in the sense that the Palestinian people seem to have known to look after them <laughs> see this and hear it um, as the oboe gets overwhelmed by these massive forces but somehow he makes it work on a musical level as well as on a, a political metaphoric level I have to say I, I'm really fond of the Tarab movement, which provides us for the first time perhaps with a kind of strange bossy Middle, Middle Eastern melody. Dean in, in this movement manages to bring the orchestra to an extraordinary sort of level of ecstasy, almost like the ecstatic music of Scriabin or something of that nature. The piece is also a piece of abstract music, it's a concerto, and there there's no text. So one has to be brought to that idea, so it works in both ways. fight for our freedom in Palestine aside, this music takes us on a kind of a psychological journey from a kind of tortuous striving for freedom to a kind of an ecstasy, you know?
telling as well that at the very end, when you think the oboe has the last say, you know, you can hear the, the soprano sax coming in, uh, the cuckoo and the nest, as it were, having the, in fact the last say, which is a bit sad. It tells us about that scenario, which is still currently happening. So in many ways, the, the piece, if it needs to be seen as a political metaphor, it's very much alive as one. Moving on to the most recent work of the three, Kevin Volan's uh, Gaul Naman, which is a concerto, I guess, for Ilan Pipes and orchestra. And there's often a challenge, isn't there, in using non-classical ethnic instruments, in this case the Ilan Pipes, in a contemporary or art music context. How has Kevin Volans dealt with this in the work? I have to say, when I first heard that Volans had written an Ilan Pipe concerto, I was quite flabbergasted in a way. And yet I shouldn't have been, because, of course, he was always dealing with indigenous musics and even instruments in some way. referring, of course, to his South African roots and his involvement with South African music as material for his own work. We're thinking, you know, White Man Sleeps, She Who Sleeps With a Blanket, Mbira, all those pieces. I must say, listening to this piece, I find it really refreshing because often I find the use of traditional Irish materials and or instruments a little plumossing sometimes. And if they come across as too commercial to me, I feel that some sort of injustice is done to, um, to what happened actually to Gaelic culture, most of which disappeared. We don't speak Irish anymore. The entire Gaelic aristocratic system disintegrated not by itself through centuries of aggressive colonialism and so i have this problem where attempts to revitalize irish music actually tend to airbrush over atrocities that actually took place that's just a theme that is on my mind when i come across and hear a lot of this music I have to say I didn't get that sense with Volan's concerto. <laughs> what I got was a strange juxtaposition of two different worlds, you know. Having listened to the piece now several times, I don't think he's used any original Irish tune. He has relied on the sheer rawness and, if you like, symbolic power of the sound of the Ilan Pipes, which for me in some way articulate a kind of Irishness, an ancient one and a modern one.
and then he juxtaposes that with highly sophisticated orchestrations. I'm not suggesting that Ilum Pipe playing or sound is not sophisticated in itself, but you can understand the two different worlds, the rawness of this indigenous instrument and, you know, this kind of really sophisticated Western music orchestration. This juxtaposition of these two worlds I find interesting, but I don't find myself worrying about any airbrushing over Irish history. In many ways, it brings a kind of an ancient Irish instrument into the 21st century in a fresh way. think that Kevin Volans, who is South African by birth and who lived in and studied in Cologne and has been living in Ireland, he's an Irish citizen now for some time. Do you think the fact that having a fresh perspective on a work that if you were an, maybe an Irish person, you might have that sort of weight of history and the symbolism around it that may influence your approach or how you treat it or the degree of reverence or, or otherwise. Do you think that is what helps achieve that freshness? That might be the key because, I mean, as I as I just stated myself, I come to these traditional materials and instruments with great trepidation. And you might have a you might have a very interesting point here, um, that because he's not Irish in 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 terms of inheritance, and that he he obviously had a different relationship. I find this quite refreshing, actually, you know. And then you start listening out because you listen out for the obviously the the differences are what come up first, you know. As I said earlier, the raw indigenous sound versus this, you know. Um, really sophisticated orchestration but then there are moments where this kind of Stravinsky music the, the rite of spring type uh, um, I don't know if Kevin will be pleased with me saying that but there are certainly moments where one is uh, the, that sort of savage music of the rite of spring seems to appear which sort of it, it's dragging the orchestra closer to the untamed world of the Illum pipes you know and um and there's a very nice moment near the end of the concerto where we have low harp, just you can barely hear it, but it's almost a kind of a dream evocation of a certain type of Ireland, you know, maybe from the early last century or something of that nature.
the final work that you're going to talk about today is from Jane O'Leary. And that originally started out as a piano quintet. Like the other two works, does this work fit into the idea of a traditional concerto with soloists pitted against the orchestra or or is it about something else? I spoke earlier about the parallels between myself and Jane being uh, one of the few, you know, uh, composer performers. And there's there's an interesting thing here that um, her concerto for piano and strings um, originated as a piano quintet. And my guitar quintet originated as a concerto for piano and strings. And what that really points to is a kind of, a, a, I think, a pragmatism among uh, composers. It gets us back to the old idea that Bach reworked things again for different instrumentations. And we can, we can think of Bach again because, in a way, um, Jane has completely collapsed the notion of the concerto here again, she's almost gone back to a kind of concerto grosso idea where the the soloist is really part of the ensemble, you know? And um, she even asks for the piano to be placed in the midst of the soloists, which is an interesting thing. So already, if you like, the physiognomy of the, of the orchestral group denies the soloistic position in the front of the stage. playing a lot of the music inside the piano. She has the piano lid off. And so we know that the, we know that the piano is a stringed instrument, but it's, uh, the, the sound is created when the hammers hit the strings, but she's plucking them a lot, which brings the instrument closer to the, if you like, the pizzicato of the, of the, of the violins, cellos and basses and so forth. So she's really integrating the soloist within the ensemble. of soloist almost disappears the notion of solo instrument is lessened because she has the the, the lid off the, the piano and often you can't really tell sometimes it's not a completely new idea but it's new in the fact that it's 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 heading back to the baroque idea it's of, of the small ensemble where the soloist emerges occasionally 
it's also the notion that the solo instrument is fighting vigorously against the large forces that's gone as well so in the, not only in the in the shape of the concerto but but in its formal writing it's not based on one instrument versus you know which is what we hear in the dean and in the volans it's one instrument resonating with the rest and all the other instruments resonating I mean she does have motific development of course but the real development emerges in the way that sound ideas resonate and echo among all the different instruments so I think that's a completely new idea in terms of looking at what the concerto does she's created a kind of uh, an enclosed resonance chamber it's almost like a completely democratic notion of the concerto which is really against what we understand the concerto to be which is large force single soloist fighting against each other in one way or another. So um, in many ways it's quite radical, you know. Jane O'Leary's Strings Alive, with the composer as soloist and the RTE National Symphony Orchestra and conductor Robert Houlihan. And the RTE National Symphony Orchestra and Robert Houlihan will perform Jane's work from 1984, From the Flatirons, in an online performance on the 11th of June. Check out our website for details of this broadcast. That's all for this week. My thanks to Keith Fennell for his help in editing the episode and to Ben Dwyer for choosing and talking about these works. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. Until then, thanks for listening.